So, uh, dear listeners, welcome to the new episode of Civis Pachem, podcast about transatlantic security and American foreign policy. Today on our agenda, we're going to discuss China. This is our second remote um, episode. And I hope you enjoy your quarantine and let's get down to it. Let's get down to it. So, my friends, what would you say about the current situation of China? Oh, it's a big topic, I guess. I really wanted to discuss it with you because it's really interesting and it, uh, it's very connected to coronavirus and current situation with all this media war between the US and China. Well, I can say that China is by no means, like no one can doubt that it is like the largest economy in the world, I mean, second largest. After the US, it's the biggest producer in the world, and it's, I mean, it's its in its peak, in its rise, and the next decade we probably see, like, the fall of the US and the rise of China. What do you think about that? I think it's uh, pretty funny that uh, three or four months ago, when the virus started, many people thought that this will be the end of the rapid Chinese growth, that basically China, who hugely relies on exports, being on yeah. lockdown, it will ruin their economies, economy and will uh, hinder their exports and basically the main uh, source of income for the Chinese economy. Yeah. Uh, but right now, the outlook for the future is that uh, <laughs> China will come out of this victorious, one can say. Yeah, this is true, and we see, and I mean, it's also, because the Chinese economy is so advanced, and it's AI technologies, and all the systems, and they are kind of, for them, it's so easier to uh, impose this lockdown on the big uh, big cities, and that's why, I mean, it, it, it's, it looks like now... Uh, they're recovering from the situation, and I guess some cities, maybe the city that uh, weren't hit very hard by the virus, they, I guess, people will go to work from next week or something like this, or maybe they already work, I don't know, uh, honestly. But, I mean, the thing is, now they're going to gain some advantage because of that, and that is probably why a lot of American politicians say that China must pay uh, for, you know, calamity that happened because of the virus and stuff, because of the economic disaster. So yeah. what do you say about this? How do you, f how do you find this idea? Well, uh, first of all, uh, let's um, state the fact that China was able to come out of this really critical situation because they are a totalitarian state. By mm. the uh, measures that they, uh, that they used, such as total invigilation of the populations, the population, it was it was uh, easy to track people who, for example, were supposed to be in quarantine. And if such a yeah. person left their household or wherever they were supposed to be quarantined, they would just be immediately found and put into lockdown forcefully. In Europe, it's not possible. And that's why Europe yeah. is facing such huge problems right now, and US as well. And in the meantime, thanks to those drastic measures, China is getting out of the crisis. And now they seem to be this country that brings help to the world uh, and to in the fight with the virus. Uh, so China right now sends doctors all over the world to help yeah. uh, combat uh, the spread of the disease, uh, medical equipment, etc., etc., which hugely boosts their their position on the international scene. And I would relate to the European and American relations. 
which have recently been pretty pretty bad mm -hmm. right now it might, might get even worse because the, the european allies of the us might say okay so basically for the last like 10 years you the us were telling us okay china is our biggest enemy and we are allies so you guys help us yeah. help us combat china but now in times of crisis the us did not help us at all but china came in and and gave us help so this is i would even consider what china is doing right now sort of our type of power projection in europe and overall in the world yeah, I totally agree with you, and uh, the same thing that Russia does, maybe it's something like PR strategy, you know, to kind of uh, make the case that, yeah, probably the virus started from China, but now we're going to do all these nice things to other countries, we're going to send masks and some other medical equipment to um, to contribute to, the, the, like, to, this, to stop the spread of this disease in other countries. I don't know how to feel about this, honestly, because I mean, basically, you could not make up for like make up for the virus just by sending some medical equipment to other countries. Because no, of course, but uh, it's not the math that matters here. It's the attitudes of the people from different countries that's what matters yeah. for the uh, Chinese foreign policy. Yes, that's true. And but uh, the fun thing uh, for for me, from my observation, that now they blame the U.S. also for the spread of the virus, <laughs> um, which is a little bit ridiculous, of course, in my opinion, because it's something it's very similar to conspiracy theory. It's 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 almost official position of uh, Chinese government, at least the senior Chinese officials uh, propagate this idea, so to speak. Uh, how how do you find it, and why are they doing this? Well, I think it's their classical Cold War uh, propaganda war, basically blaming everything that's the worst yeah. in the world on your political opponent. But I'm really curious to hear what argumentation uh, is China using to support this thesis, because you cannot deny that the virus originated because of the very poor sanitary conditions in those food markets in China. So do you know how, how they argument their thesis? Yeah, uh, I think so. So they connect uh, this virus to some researchers in the US who basically tried to create a vaccine uh, based on like some uh, um, based on some biological material, something like this. I don't know. You, you can dig up this uh, story on the internet. But the whole idea is that uh, they created this virus in some American lab. Uh, I guess they I just they, they pinpoint you know, like just the name of this lab and like mm -hmm. the name of researchers there, and what they say that you know this um, this researchers passed this virus to some American officials who then went to Wuhan. Uh, that's how it all started. I mean, this sounds like a very big conspiracy, especially in the part that you know <laughs> they transferred this virus, and now the U.S. actually. It's uh, yeah. suffering the most, you know, and this is not, and this is election year, and for God's sake, how, what president gonna do this in his during his re-election campaign? <laughs> but well, I but, think it's not important if it's true or not. It's important if people believe it. Oh yeah, I don't know. Uh, maybe someone buys it. Uh, it's hard for me to assess. I guess in Europe, mainly in the Western world, it sounds a little bit ridiculous. Just because there is no, there is 
not only there is no proof, but there is also it's it's basically conspiracy theory. There is no. I think it something... might also be a part of Chinese damage control. I mean, for their own population, saying, "Yo, guys, you know, this wasn't us who failed. It was the Americans who planted the disease here. So, you should not doubt your government because we did everything right in New Zealand, and we, and we actually managed to contain the disease. So we're cool." Or maybe they try to avoid consequences by doing this because everyone understands once the virus is over, you're going to have some uh, um, lawsuits from American officials, I don't know, from American government probably, or some uh, people who suffered the, who uh, from the virus. And that's their answer to the question that they don't blame us, it's, you know, blame America, something like this. I mean... Yeah, that as well, that as well, but do you really think there will be any consequences for anybody after the crisis is tackled? I don't think so. Me neither. Okay. And uh, the thing is, the situation, uh, in term, uh, situation in terms of Chinese, uh, this street markets is really critical and serious. I mean, uh, so far, what I read, they really, they closed uh, most of them. But you never know, I mean, they can reopen them in, let's say, two or three years. That's what they did after the first outbreak in 2003. They basically reopened those markets in like something like four or five years. Yeah, like nothing and, happened. Yeah, and because of, I read a lot of articles, it's, it's connected to corruption and bribe, like, they, because of this, this people, they really uh, know, uh, they, they have access to Chinese elites and they know who to bribe. And what basically they do, they not only reopen them, they also um, enlarge the list, you know, and include even endangered species there, which wow. which is so uh, so bad for you know for everyone. Uh, but uh, that's that's how it works, and of course it should be put under strict control. Uh, all the situation, it's not the first outbreak, uh, and. Some other outbreaks also happened in China, but this is the second, I would say, worldwide outbreak coming from China. Mm -hmm. And, of course, something should be done to avoid this in the future, but, you know. But this is also an interesting question. Let's discuss it from the perspective, you know, in 10 years, probably, um, like, China going to be in the position... Uh, China going to be the country who dictates its position to the United States, not the vice versa. I, I, I think so as well. Because uh, their position is currently the strongest. While all the economies and countries all over the world are being basically closed down and pushed into lockdown, the industry is stopped, the economy is basically frozen, China is yeah. slowly reopening. And, well, the world will need goods all over the world. And who will be producing it? Probably China. China. Because the factories will, be, will resume production, while the entire European or American industry will be frozen. And this may be uh, the start of another huge Chinese economic growth. Yes, which is really scary in terms of, I mean, there are different opinions about, you know, different attitudes to Chinese growth and even different assessment of this new world system where China plays a critical role, it's central, integral role. Some people say it's something like bipolar system or some others argue it's multipolar system. But in any case, China definitely plays this leading role in this system. It's already it's already the case because everything depends on China. All production chain chains, especially that connected to the US, 
depend on China and yeah and um, how do you find so how do you think China gonna use this uh, leading position coming like coming not winners of course we couldn't say in, in these terms but coming basically with some advantages from this position how China gonna use them in your opinion it is interesting to uh, compare the current Chinese situation to their history because all over the very long history of Chinese uh, basically state, Chinese state, uh, China was powerful at many periods in time, but they never tried to create a, a big global or even continental empire. They usually stuck to their region and the sphere of influence. They never got into colonization, even though they there were times when they had yeah. huge fleets. Uh, some historians even argue that some Chinese explorers reached America before the Europeans did. Uh, but they always stuck into their region, and it's part of their uh, political culture, I think. And I wonder yeah. if the modern times of globalization, globalization will see a change in their approach to foreign policy. Will they try to... Uh, basically imitate the current politics of the US being the major power in the world or will they try to mm -hmm. simply gain influence in the region but still uh, maybe be hegemon in the region but still have major influence uh, over the globe or will they go full US trying to be the policeman of the earth and intervening wherever they can so I would I would say on the one hand um, so the region uh, let's say it's an Asian region is there is still their priority I mean they're not so I mean people try to depict China as something kind of USSR style uh, second world kind of world power but it's not really the case because China is very cautious in in projecting its its own power and it really assesses its position in terms of its uh, regional position uh, first of all and of course the main um, the main thing is to push back America from this region this is like the key priority right now mm -hmm. but on the other hand you see this neo colonization process in Africa uh, you see some military bases in Africa in Djibouti for example uh, and Sri Lanka also and this is an interesting question because this is not definitely a usual part of the uh, sphere of influence uh, or how they frame it. Yeah, that is true, but uh, some people argue that they do that because of the pressure from the US. So all the things that they do is basically to keep the US away from the Chinese region or basically Asia. Mm -hmm. Don't you think that, uh, let's imagine a situation where the US is hit hard by the virus and their economy isn't doing that great after the outbreak and they have to cut down on their military spendings or whatever and they slowly start retreating from their base in Asia, would China be satisfied by their unquestioned rule in the Asian region or would they then still want to expand their sphere of influence outside of Asia? This is a really good question, I guess, uh, from, I guess, China really is driven by its uh, by its capi kind of capitalistic interest and, for example, as we see in Africa, they're very 
it's it's not just about like ideological competition and just competition for the world but it's mainly about like very very high profits that africa can grant them and you know this enormous labor force that africa has that they could use in a, in uh, not africa i'm sorry china has enormous labor force and they can just basically bring all their labor force even to china to build this all this stuff i guess they really interested in all this you know infrastructure projects big worldwide infrastructure projects that are going to connect uh, the whole world uh, with these chinese products and chinese chain systems uh-huh. i guess it's it's different i mean we already live in different kind of system and that's why for example people say you know when the us retreated from global global globalization uh, china stepped in there was this famous Xi speech, I guess, in Davos Forum or some other senior Chinese official, uh, where he basically took this, you know, role of the leader of globalization that we should not stop, we should globalize further because, of course, China really depends on its uh, export market, on its exports, and that's how it drives the world economy. You know, even during financial 2008 financial crisis, China was like the only country with a positive GDP growth. and that's what they need right now it's just to expand their sphere of influence uh, at the same time uh, improve the quality of life inside China so they could have kind of stable their own market no dependent on anyone else uh, something as US uh, the US already has and yeah it's very interesting but I guess in terms of I guess there's also like different categories and they're thinking of course there is a thinking of security and in terms of security it's mainly Asian region maybe Mm -hmm. in terms of economy and economic interests it's probably it's already the whole world or yes I I agree I agree with you I think we need to separate political and uh, economic influence Uh, first of all I think uh, China will not be able to uh, assert dominance, uh, for example, over Europe the same way that the US did. First of all, because of c- cultural differences, approach to politics and basically values of the countries. It was pretty simple for the US because the Europeans, uh, the culture is very similar. It also, they all stem from the Christian roots. Uh, mm-hmm. There weren't any major language barriers because the language groups or even the main languages of both continents, you can say, was English. Uh, yeah. And here, I think it might this might be an obstacle for China to assert political dominance over continent like Europe, but it does not mean that can they cannot influence the economy hugely. So I do not see China meddling into the political situation of the EU too much, but I can totally see them uh, uh, basically uh, pushing economic pressure on the European Union to perhaps force them to you know do some concessions on behalf of China. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you with you in this um, in this particular moment because it's definitely about the separation between security politics on the one hand and economy on on the other. Um, I guess as Russian, I could also I can also bring the question of uh, um, Russian Chinese. Uh, I don't know mm-hmm. people say alliance or some rapprochement, some kind of. Uh, close strategic cooperation as it already is it framed in official documents and this is really interesting because china doesn't give so much to russia but it takes a lot of uh it takes a lot of military technologies uh, uh, military equipment uh, and now russia builds a lot of stuff 
very helpful. How do how do you assess this, and how do you see this? Mm, the Russian or an Soviet relations with China were kind of complicated because at one point of time they would be super good, and the other time it would be almost almost hostile. Uh, and I'm really not able to predict how they're going to uh, how they're going to develop further, because uh, Russia is also a power that wants to be at least a regional power, especially in Eastern Europe. And uh, I can see Russia and China working together yeah. if China does not interfere w- w- into the interests of Eastern Europe too much, or maybe not at all. I think if Russia has complete dominance over uh, Belarus or Baltic states and Ukraine and maybe even Poland or whatever, they might be basically uh, content with China being yeah. a major power in the East. So yeah, yeah, this this is this is this is true, and there are a lot of uh, countries, uh, Asian countries like Kazakhstan. Middle Asian countries that basically like can be bone of contention in the future because already that is true. Kazakhstan is a, uh, yeah. I mean they are all already becoming very dependent on China because all these uh, infrastructure projects that are uh, all, everything that is uh, is being built right now it's basically funded and, and built by China and by Chinese workers and this gives a lot of leverage uh, chinese leverage on this governments and it's a it's a maybe big headache for russian officials in the future but so far they managed to separate you know kind of politics uh, political ties and economic ties uh-huh. because they still see like people uh, rulers in kazakhstan elites in kazakhstan still see like russia as something like a security um uh, gr- some like, security grant, uh, grant, and on the other hand, they just see a lot of uh, benefits from ca- Chinese cooperation in economy, and that's why they think it benefits their country the most. That's why they pursue this policy. So um, when we have this mm, very strong regional power of China, or even maybe a global power. How would you see the role of the U.S. in this entire mess? What will the U.S. Uh, in the world dominated by China look like? Would they be uh, also influenced by China highly, or will they be a regional power in the Americas? Oh, this is this is a good question. Uh, it's a very it's for for future maybe for the future decade. I guess China and uh, China, but the U.S. is going to retreat and uh, concentrate on its own problems because as we know i mean it's uh, it's kind of normal for american the history so uh, if we talk about uh, american role in this system i guess uh, america going to concentrate more on its own problems uh, and the reason uh, why i think so is because like the us definitely clearly has a lot of like its own domestic issues that it needs to resolve in order to go further and we see now in current political debate and presidential campaign and we're going to see this i guess in the future and i don't think uh, it depends on uh, i don't think it even depends on the party who is going to rule because anyway america kind it's kind of hard for her for 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 america to to maintain this system as it, as it was. What do you think about this in American role? I wonder if America will accept the fact that their their role in the world might change. 
I mean, you can see, for example, uh, what what happened in in Russia after the Soviet Union dissolved and the Soviet Union stopped being a world power, basically, yep. or global power. Uh, I wouldn't say that the Russian society accepted the fact, which is probably the fact that Putin is in power for so long, promising to basically make Russia great again. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, it's a symptom of the society not accepting the fact of not being an empire anymore. So I wonder if uh, the Americans will try to heal their wounds of a dissolved empire by trying to be uh, maybe a more powerful entity in the Americas, especially in South America, because yeah. I don't see anybody contending them, contesting their rule in South America. So maybe we can see an America sort of similar like during uh, Theodore Roosevelt times with, you know, mm-hmm. huge uh, American influence in South America. Um, yeah, but I wonder if they'll just simply let China yeah, it's... do their thing or if they'll if it'll lead to some escalation between the two countries before that happens. Yeah, that's basically a question for every um, current political scientist or historian. And... Yeah, I I want to add to what you said uh, uh, to your statement. I guess it's it's there should be clear division because I don't think that actually a lot of Americans support this costly American foreign policy in terms of this Pax Americana and the, the American dominance. Um, and it's mainly um, as as I see this is what American elites do because uh, as as we all know, <laughs> Americans have problems with geography and uh, you know it's very separated. They are very safe. Um, it's 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 impossible just to conquer America. No, like just because physically it's very hard. Uh, not taking yes, that is true into account just the American great mil- great military that they have. So I guess that's why it's it's easier for the US will be just to switch to this mode. I don't say I still I still see like the US uh, European cooperation going on even if even if if you see some the symptom of America concentrating on its own, on its own on its own mission on its own problems. But about conflict, uh, I guess the conflict can happen if um, uh, if American elites or just American military practitioners are going to continue this like belligerent the policy of brinkmanship brinkmanship in South China Sea and Asian region. Mm-hmm. This is where it can escalate because I mean China can also I mean China already uh, shows its power and plays its muscle so to speak and tries to say yeah we we could we could try to have a you know small war here it's not a problem for us anymore. It's interesting how this plays into the idea of the preventive war, because imagine that no matter what president is is in power from which party, but imagine that they receive uh, a report from a military, some general saying, Mr. President, we think that it's the last moment when we can beat the Chinese army in open conflict. In 10 years, it will be impossible. Will this push the Americans to provoke something, maybe? Yeah, this is... Uh... I guess uh, honestly, the China gonna start this. Uh, if if the if the war gonna be uh, started, I think uh, the China will initiate this conflict. 
Uh, you think so? Yeah, why well, I think so because it's it's clearly Chinese interest than American interest. I mean, for average American, how how hard is like just to say, well, yeah, when you send send people to Iraq, it's one thing, but then you need to say, well, now we have to fight for Taiwan, you know, and we have to, and, and it's different type of war, the war uh-huh. on uh, on the high seas. It's it's gonna be different type of war. It's gonna cost so many lives and so many uh, ships, uh, like military vessels, and, and taxpayers' money. Yeah, definitely. And it's really hard to elaborate and explain uh, like to American taxpayers. Well, now we think we really need to uh, defend. For example, Taiwan. Taiwan is is a brilliant, is, I guess, a brilliant example because. Uh, this uh, Chinese like Chinese trying to you know get closer and closer to Taiwan to Taiwan speaking like in uh-huh. military terms and th- that's why I think uh, at one moment if uh, I guess was, let's say in five years uh, when China gonna modernize its uh, Navy if if it's something it's if its status quo is still preserved and China is not satisfied with this they could initiate the war in order just to push back. And I honestly don't think America gonna, uh, like, really, like, America has, like, a big interest to respond because then it's gonna lead to at least a regional war, but then you never know how it's gonna escalate. Well, I think you might relate to the um, sort of a conspiracy theory that uh, President Roosevelt knew about the coming attack on Pearl Harbor, but he did not... uh, announce it because he wanted it to be a shock to society so that the society feels you know oh our country is attacked yeah so now now we need to defend it because imagine a situation if the president knew about an incoming attack attack and they basically did a preventive attack earlier this would look as an aggression and probably the population would not be so eager to fight Oof. Uh... so would you imagine that i don't know if uh american vessel was sunk somewhere in the south asia sea wouldn't the American elites use it as a casus belly? Yes, the, the, in this case, yes. But I think China is also like Chinese practitioners, and they're smart enough not to directly attack America. And they, I mean, they don't. I don't think China has interest in just fighting the U.S. I mean, they clearly, like everyone, understands that it's gonna cost a lot of money. It's gonna cost probably. It's gonna cost a lot of life lives but it also going to cause probably their superior economic position in the world um, yeah that is possible what they need uh, i mean they just see for example taiwan as their is their territory you know <laughs> um, and and and, the, and they see all this political intrigues uh, um, being um, like utilized by the us just to promote kind of its own like this agenda of of global superpower and uh-huh. that's that's where I see. I mean, it, it's it's all in our minds, you know. We we couldn't say for sure, but what I'm trying to say, uh, for me, uh, the one who's going to start the war is going to be China. It's 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 in my opinion. If it happens. If it happens, yeah, because you never know. Maybe we're going to see some, let's say, a practical diplomacy and uh, the US gonna retreat from the region like while preserving let's say it's uh, allies like Japan or South Korea but giving I don't know maybe Taiwan or some other territories to China in some other spheres of influence 
Maybe. I guess we can never know because, you see, during the Cold War, everybody ex- except, expected a war at a one point, but it didn't happen. So, yeah, who knows? I mean, Bernie Sanders is kind of like this guy. You never, you never think, you think about him as a big, like a lot of people think about him as a big progressivist, but he's actually, in terms of foreign policy, he's, he's even worse than Donald Trump to, for some people. I mean, especially to military guys. He just like basically says it's not our interest to be there, to be in Europe, to be in Japan. We just like should pull, uh, we should just uh, uh, retreat from there. And so every American soldier can live their happy lives and can, have, can live his happy life in, in the US, something like that. Well, I guess the upcoming presidential election will be also important for the role of the U.S. in this new world. Oh, yeah. And uh, that's all about, uh, particularly the part about China is very important. And uh, Biden, who is going to be probably not for sure, but is a big chance that he's going to uh, run against Trump. He basically promotes this idea of let's still... uh, uh, let's still try to integrate China and um, yeah but how do you actually it's a good question how do you find this idea will further globalization change anything in China in your opinion uh, the idea of globalization basically means that there is this one dominant culture that slowly integrates different cultures or makes them align themselves with the main global culture but if uh, the American culture is not longer the, mo- the most dominant one, you know, in the yeah. world, if China has more power projection all over the world, this we might see a process uh, different than what we are used to, that, that being uh, countries like, for example, in Europe or in different parts of the world, aligning themselves to the uh, American politics and culture. What if now, when China is the strongest player on the international scale, countries start aligning with China. I think it's more possible yeah. if then then I think it's currently it's impossible to make China aligned with the US. Yeah. I think it's way too late for that. I guess it's not just like to add to this point. I don't I don't I I I don't think it's possible either, but I also don't see China becoming democratic just because of uh, globalization process or just because like people are going to be um, I'm gonna have enough money to I don't know uh, like just this idea when they open China that uh, with the process of globalization uh, it just just it just would turn democratic that was the initial idea and now but it's failed yeah it it, dress, it just drastically failed and we also should face this challenge and just I, I mean not, not us but uh, American I guess politicians just face this challenge and just uh, be clear that like just the idea of globalization failed in terms of China because China is not becoming democratic. For, uh, on the other, like uh, on the country, it's becoming way more totalitarian now as any time period in the past. I might even say that uh, the U.S. made a similar mistake that the communists did. That being, the communists thought that basically after the Soviet Union was created that the socialist revolution will spread in different countries. It's just a matter of time because, you know, workers will yeah. be more self-conscious and they will abolish the bourgeoisie and capitalism. But that did not happen. I think it's the same mistake that the U.S. did. They thought, oh, it's going to happen by itself. But it did not. 
Yeah, and that's why in the next decade everyone is going to uh, to a certain point I think it's attitude to China and to the whole situation. <laughs> I'll probably yep. pick up some Chinese skills <laughs> <laughs> practically. But it's also it's interesting, like personal question. Do you think if uh, if you know Chinese, if you know Chinese culture, you would think differently, like about if you knew, for example, like you personally Chinese culture and Chinese language, you would think differently about this country. Of course, of course. Uh, I think the fact that uh, basically Asian culture is so different from European, and it might be hard for us Europeans yeah. to fully understand their point of view. I think learning the language is already a great starting point to understanding the country. And I'm sure we would both look differently at China, uh, knowing yeah. their language and culture. But, you know, we do not have this uh, luxury of being mm, knowing all, every, every language in the world. And unfortunately, we have to view, uh, view the current situation through our... Yeah. Uh, European culture and European lenses. And I think that's how it influences us. We presented this in this episode quite well. Yeah, that's true. And I also think there is still some resistance to Chinese language because it's still very underappreciated if you compare it to any other language because... Yes, it's it's really surprising because it's the most spoken language in the world. But uh, nobody, almost nobody learns it in the US or Europe. I think it's because it's completely different from the European languages. I think that's the barrier because you have yeah. to completely change your thinking of language if you want to learn Chinese. Yeah, this is true. So on this note, we're warping up, I guess, our episodes for today. And I guess we are. Yes. Um, so pick up new skills, maybe try, uh, try guys to Chinese. yeah to start learning Chinese <laughs> and. <laughs> Stay safe, stay safe, and... Stay healthy. Yeah, stay home, stay safe. And that's it. Uh, Goodbye. Goodbye.